Welcome to episode four of the Movie Marathoners podcast. I'm your co-host, Mati. And I'm Ian. And today we are going to be talking about a film that I can't actually say the name of because technically we are not marked as explicit content on iTunes. So we're going to be talking about Heckboy. It's Hellboy. It's Heckboy. Hellboy. We'll warm up with our spoiler-free thoughts on Heckboy, as well as its predecessors from Guillermo del Toro. Then we'll head into spoiler territory. And then what we're going to do is we're planning on concluding with a slightly longer point two section where we discuss a bunch of other things that we've been watching. So first, let's uh, read a synopsis of Heckboy. Based on the graphic novels by Mike Mignola, Heckboy, caught between worlds of the supernatural and human, battles an ancient sorceress bent on revenge. I think they missed a huge opportunity by saying hell-bent on revenge, but whatever. Heckboy stars David Harbour, Mila Jovovich, and Ian McShane. It is written by Andrew Crosby and directed by Neil Marshall. So, Ian, tell me as the comic book expert, right. who is Heckboy? What's his deal? And what can you tell us about the comics and why those comics attract readers? Yeah, so something interesting about Heckboy is um, <laughs> his creator, uh, Mike Mignola, he initially drew Heckboy for the first time at um, San Diego Comic-Con in the 90s just as like a random drawing. I think he like drew it just for a, a guest at the convention and he didn't have any plans to do anything with the character and then later on he was like, you know, this character is actually pretty cool. I want to do something with it. Um, and so he uh, started to write stories about uh, Hellboy and... Heckboy. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. I'll bl- I'll bleep it out. <laughs> and and he's initially he's a like a half demon, mostly looking like the devil kind of kind of guy. Um, he's a quirky. I don't know if he's quirky, but he he's he's a fun hero. Where where he he reminds me of Deadpool. You know, he takes things seriously when he has to. But he's also constantly drinking and cursing and joking about killing and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So what's uh, like? Who is the character though? What does he do in the comics? Well, like, I mean, he he works with um, the United States Bureau for Paranormal Research and Defense, as he does in uh, both movies, I think, or by Guillermo de, del Toro and uh, this new one, um, where he with the help of his uh, adopted father, I guess, hunts down paranormal activity and, you know, kills it. Okay. So he's, does he have superpowers? Is he like a, in the comics, is he a, a superhero or? Well, I mean, he, he. I don't know if they ever call him a superhero, but okay. he, he is what you can, we would consider a superhero. I right. Think. He, he has, you know, I guess the enhanced strength that you would expect a demon to have. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, sure, I guess. But he he usually relies on weapons like guns and grenades and stuff like that. 
and his right hand is really strong. Why his right hand? <laughs> I can't remember the name Isn't of it. it. It's made of like rock, right? Uh, or something. It, it looks sort it's, of rocky. It's, it's and like the big. hand of a god. Okay, sure. Basically. Whatever. And like some god was killed, I think, and the hand was the only thing left, mm-hmm. and they grafted this hand onto Hellboy. And so this character is from Dark Horse Comics, yeah. correct? So yeah. he's not a DC character. He's not a Marvel yeah. character. He's his kind of own thing. Correct. Okay. Yeah. There's right. more than just DC and Marvel out there, folks. Yeah. Okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we know that Hackboy was made into a movie originally in 2004 by director Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. And for people who don't know, Guillermo del Toro is a Mexican film director who directed not only the original two Hackboy films. So in 2004, it was Hackboy. And in 2000, I believe, eight, it was Hackboy 2, The Golden the Army. Army. He also did movies like Pan's Labyrinth, Pacific Rim, which is awesome, and the 2018 Best Picture winner, The Shape of Water. Uh, He's clearly a huge fan of these kind of creature features and also very much likes blending elements of horror and romance Mm -hmm. into his science fiction and fantasy genre films. What's your experience with Del Toro's Hackboy films? Uh, Do you like them? Yeah, I really like them. Um, I love Ron Perlman and uh, those original movies. I thought he did the character like, I mean, I, I saw those movies way before I read the comics, but mm-hmm. after uh, reading the comics, I was like, wow, yeah, he he nailed that. Um, he had that like sort of, he, he had this sort of serious tone of Hellboy, but he also, I think, had a good amount of fun with it. Whereas, you know, with these new movies, I think they tried a little bit too hard to have more fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's something I think, I, I went into this movie having having an issue with, you know, y- you have remakes and you're going to compare them to movies mm-hmm. that were made previously. You know, like when Man of Steel came out, I was comparing it to... Like, Superman the, Returns. Su- yeah, like, well, Superman Returns and <laughs> like the actual like good Superman movies from like earlier. And I was just like, wow, compared to those ones, like, this guy sucks. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> and that that's sort of like the same experience I think I had in this new Hellboy. Like I, I went into it wanting to see more on Perlman. Really? Think, and then okay. like I, w- I was disappointed. So have you seen the new film, uh, sorry, the old films recently? Uh, the old Hellboy films? Yeah. Yeah. I saw the first one recently. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah uh, I as well watched both the first one and the second one recently in preparation for this. Mm-hmm. It actually was the first time that I'd seen either of them. Oh, wow. For some reason, I missed them completely when I was growing up. But watching them, I was like, why did I not see <laughs> yeah. these? They seem yeah, like my pretty, cup of tea. It's pretty fun. Yeah. I think the first one does not hold up as well as I was anticipating it might. I think some of the CGI is a little wonky yeah. and the story is a lot more convoluted, I guess, than it has to be. Mm-hmm. But I really enjoyed the second one. I thought that Guillermo del Toro did a great job of building a world that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And something that I really admire about del Toro's films, even if he, even if I don't like them, all of them, he takes the subject matter very seriously. Mm-hmm. Nothing is like too silly for him. Nothing is beyond respect yeah which i think is really interesting and something that this film (laughs) that we'll get to in a second does not really do too well yeah i think i think del toro does a great job at embracing silliness but not mocking the subject material yeah 
And so you can kind of feel that the characters in the original Hellboys, oh no, I'm sorry, Heckboys, is those characters feel real and they feel like they're dealing with actual things. And I think something that helps to that is Del Toro's good blend of CGI and makeup Mm -hmm. or practical Practical effects. effects, So definitely the CGI doesn't hold up super well, but a lot of the practical effects, like Abe Sapien, Mm -hmm. where it's just a dude with makeup on that makes him kind of look like a fish, Mm -hmm. all that stuff holds up really, really well. And you can see the influences from that on things like Pacific Rim and The Shape of Water, Water, which I think is an excellent film that we can maybe talk about at some other point. But as far as reboots are concerned, my main thing with reboots is almost, it seems almost in contrast to what you say, is that I, I do compare them to the original, but I think that reboots need to have a reason to exist that separates the table. them. Yeah, so like That's why... another criticism I do have for this movie. Yeah, I so, <laughs> so why are you making this? Is Are you telling us something that the other story couldn't tell? Yeah, yeah. Right. So what do you think this film... We'll, we'll talk about the 2019 Hackboy now. What do you think this film was going for? What do you Do you think it deviates enough from the original or would you prefer that it deviated less in your case maybe tone wise I, I i think that was probably my favorite part of the movie mm-hmm. um it was a bit more fun and lighthearted i think than the del mm-hmm. toro ones yeah which lined up more with the comics i think and i i, I just think that worked for me and what do you mean that you think it lined up better with the comics well, comics naturally like have a more lighthearted tone, uh-huh. I think, than than movies usually do. They don't always, but it it has a very similar feel to Deadpool, as I said earlier, mm-hmm. and that wasn't something that I really felt in the Del Toro films. Mm-hmm. It felt, I guess, a bit too serious, and this one was fun. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I don't think it's necessarily that the Del Toro films were too serious, but I do think that the fact that they were serious allows you to have a reboot that kind of embraces the silliness a little bit more. Yeah, I guess that's what it's, I mean. Yeah, it, yeah. It went in a it went in a different direction. In yeah, that which dr- is in, great. And in that way, that specific way, that worked for me. Not really any other way. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I'll I'll shed some specifics on that. I think uh, I did really like the first five minutes of this movie, and you actually missed the first like three minutes of this movie because yeah, you came in a little late. <laughs> <laughs> so that's sort of awkward. But you know, it opens up with Ian McShane, who plays Heckboy's dad narrating a scene from medieval times and he's saying something like oh it was called the dark ages and for a good fucking reason and then it cuts to somebody just getting their head cut off in like a comically graphic manner and i was like okay it's gonna be a graphic movie that's sort of goofing around with this ridiculous premise and that was enough for me to be to say this is very different from del toro's film they were much more regal and fantastical then they were violent and satirical. Mm-hmm. So I was ready to be like, okay, this is a different film. I'm sold. Let's do it. It cuts to modern day and Heckboy is going to Tijuana to extract an agent who went missing. And he ends up having to fight this vampire mm-hmm. in a uh, wrestling ring. And I all thought that was all pretty fun. It was an exciting opening scene. It was 
some of the action was pretty cool. I liked mm-hmm. the special effect of the vampire. But then after that scene, the film just nosedives yeah. in quality, and it becomes well, completely incomprehensible. Before you go any further, yeah. in, in that opening scene where he's fighting the vampire, the vampire is impaled. Yes. Which is a theme that you will see throughout the movie, I think. Really? And it's a theme that confuses me. <laughs> okay. We can talk. Maybe let's talk a little bit about that in spoilers, then. I'm interested to see. Okay. But... <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I have no idea where you're going with okay. that. I'm really interested to see yeah. that. But uh, yeah, I guess spoiler alert: the vampire gets impaled it's as in the vampires first five do. Everybody dies in this movie. Yeah. What? No, they, okay. <laughs> no, they don't. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I thought that part was really fun. But then everything after is not only incomprehensible; it's also boring for yeah. the most part, and it's offensively stupid. Yeah. Some of the stuff just as movie making I don't I don't want to sound snobby and be like oh filmmaking but like some of the movie making things that happen are offensively bad it's just it's like it's not cohesive there are different plot points happening like all over the place they go back and forth between scenes like every shot yeah and (laughs) they're just awkward jump cuts I think yeah so this movie has like a 13% on Rotten Tomatoes, yeah. so it's not novel for us to crap on this movie. So let's try and, um, I don't know, compartmentalize these problems and have a discussion about it a little bit to the best that we can. Yeah. Uh, do you have any positives of this movie before we kind of go into the negatives? <laughs> um, do you have 13% positives? I have a scene in mind, but... It's spoilery. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, I, also, the last five minutes of the movie are great. The last three minutes, maybe. Yeah. There's yeah. an amazing fight scene. It's the greatest fight scene in the movie. You gotta, you gotta sit through the rest of it for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think I'm. It's not going on on a limb to say that it's not worth sitting through the hour <laughs> and fifty-eight, or in your case, hour and fifty-three yeah. minutes to get to that. But yeah, there is. I think there's a couple other cool fight scenes. There's like like a couple. I mean, which but not means, which means two. <laughs> and there are literally like nine fight scenes in this, yeah. which is a huge problem. But but before I say that, um, I did think that David Harbour as Heckboy was actually pretty good. I thought he had a decent personality for the role. I thought he I thought, did the best he could. Yeah, I thought his makeup and the special effects on him specifically were actually pretty good. Yeah, it was convincing. It was very similar to Ron Perlman, but different enough that mm-hmm. I was like, okay, he's he's doing his own thing. Mm-hmm. He's doing basically the same thing he does in Stranger Things, yeah. which is not a surprise because I know Mike Mignola watched Stranger Things and was like, hey, David Harbour could be a good Hellboy. So, but I think for what, what he was asked to do, it was a pretty pretty decent job. Yeah, no, I, I really liked him. Yeah, and actually, no, I don't want to say that. Some of the acting is bad, but like... <laughs> By and large, the acting is not the problem of this film. Oh, yeah. Not not even top ten problems. The other thing that I kind of liked about this was that it's clearly not an origin story. Mm-hmm. I like that mm. you're kind of put – I know, there's an objection to that. We can talk about it. But for most of the movie, you can – you get put right into the middle of this guy's story, and you can tell that he's clearly been at the RUPD or whatever it's called mm-hmm. – that division of the government, you can tell he's been there for a while. He has interactions with characters that reference things from the past. So in that sense, I liked that it felt 
like he was existing in this world before the movie started. Yeah. Which I think is a bit different than some of the other uh, movies like this and definitely different than Del Toro's yeah. 2004 film, which is linearly just starts with his uh, origin story. Okay, I actually, talk about the objection. Well, no, I actually had an issue with, with that part of it because I was wondering, like, as somebody who's read the comics before, I saw things that I knew I would understand, yeah. references that they were making to the past and how he, he was already an established uh, agent there. And I was wondering, would other people get it? I am inclined to agree with you. There were a couple times where I was like, I don't think that this movie is doing that good of a job at explaining who this character is. I think they're relying on the fact that maybe you've seen the Del Toro films. I think it was targeting Hellboy fans. I think it was targeting people who had seen the Del Toro films. Until there's this one scene where they just flash back to his origin, and it's not only a boring scene, it makes no sense, but it is smack in the middle of the movie Mm -hmm. and it's almost a exact replication of del toro's opening scene in that film yeah so i don't know exactly why they did that maybe because there were some studio notes that were like hey people don't know this character we need to do this garbage thing to be fair that origin is like what they did in the comics but i i agree i would have liked to see something a little bit different I mean, I don't, I don't mind the idea that they just have the same origin, but I, I did like the idea of kind of dropping you into the world and not having to see his origin story. Yeah. And there's a way to establish the character, like Spider-Man: Homecoming, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, there's a way to establish the character without having to linearly tell their backstory. Mm-hmm. But I do agree with you that there were a couple times where they definitely didn't give you the details needed if you had never seen a Hellboy film. Yeah. Which I again I don't think is the target demo of this. I actually don't know who this movie's for. Not are for there me. are there a lot of Hellboy <laughs> fans? Like <laughs> I I don't know. But those were my positives, which were clearly met with some opposition, <laughs> and they were all positives with an asterisk. So yeah, we can we can talk a little bit about how this movie is now a dumpster fire. Ian, do you want to take lead and pick something specifically? About how it's a dumpster fire? Yeah. Yeah, um, tell, me, tell me, tell me. I guess, constructively, tell me what didn't work for you for, in this film. So, something that didn't work for me was how many plot points from the comics I saw mashed into this movie. Okay. Um, I guess I can talk about it more in spoilers, but a lot of things that happen in this movie, a lot of twists, are all things that happened in the comics spread out throughout years. Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. And I just wasn't expecting to see them in this movie. I was expecting to see them in sequels maybe, and I don't know if a sequel's going to happen now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially cuz I don't know what they're oh. going to what they're going to do in a sequel cuz they used up literally all of like the, they're going to have to come up with like a whole new story. Okay. <laughs> okay. Cuz they went right up to the end. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, I have three main complaints about this movie and they're all kind of tied together but I'll talk about each of them separately and see if you agree or if you have any opinions on that so my first problem is maybe it's not even the worst problem but it's one of the problems that comes to mind when I'm thinking about what happened in this movie is I have no idea what's going on for most of the movie I don't know or understand what the central conflict of this movie is 
-hmm. right? There's a sorceress who wants to take over the world vaguely, but it doesn't really explain how that's going to happen. It doesn't explain what the implications of that are, both on a personal level for the heroes and on like a grand world scale or Mm -hmm. whatever. So I'm sitting there and I'm watching these scenes and I have no idea how any of the scenes are impacting the overall storyline of this film. Yeah. Right? So this is the first problem. The second problem is that there's these random scenes that just happen in the movie for no reason. It feels like there's sort of eight or nine or even ten different baby little set pieces Mm -hmm. and they are tied together by the thinnest, poorly drawn string of a screenplay. They never explain how they get where yeah, they were. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's not even worth trying to think about how you get from one point to another. I, I th- I'm trying to think back to any given scene and I can kind of remember the broad strokes of what's happening in the scene. It's yeah. okay. Hellboy meets a demon and they talk for a little bit or whatever. But I have no idea what is happening in that scene and what the implications of that scene are on this lady coming back and taking over the world or how Hellboy views his situation and all of this or anything like that. So, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? No, I, I completely <laughs> I completely agree with all of that. They that, That's just more of what I think, I guess. Yeah, they, they, yeah. they just had too much going on. And yeah. they were trying to fit it all in, and they couldn't find a way to tie it all together. Right. Well, I mean, I'm kind of okay with stuff happening, like a ton of stuff happening in a movie, as long as that stuff is interesting like it can it it sort of for me is kind of okay if it expenses a suit or sorry not expenses uh yeah if it's at the expense of a more cohesive narrative as long as what's happening is really cool and mm-hmm. you go oh that's awesome mm-hmm. this is cool but i feel like that's one of the quote-unquote problems or things that even i admire about heck boy 2 from del toro is that there's so much going on in that film, there's kind of these little side adventures that they go on just to, you know, see something really cool or explore this interesting world mm-hmm. within this world. And as long as that's unique, it's fine because you've never seen it before. There's so much stuff in Hellboy 2 that you've never seen before. Yeah. But everything here, all these things that are put together and barely cohesive, it's all pretty boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's nothing unique. There's nothing exciting in it. Even the action scenes are so poorly shot or filled with poor CGI that you can't really enjoy them at even like an action level. You know? That reminds me of another thing I hate about the movie, the CGI. go for it. The CGI is awful. Yeah. When when I wasn't being grossed out by how disturbing it looked, I was distracted by how terrible it looked. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I I wrote here that I think that there's there's gross CGI in this, there's bad CGI, and then there's both CGI. Yeah, like, which which made me think I was like I was thinking to myself during the movie I was, I was like I wish they did more practical effects like the first two Hellboy movies, and then I started paying closer attention and I saw that there were a lot of practical effects, but they were really bad. Oh yeah, <laughs> do you have an example? Not non spoilery. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also I guess we should say that this film is really gory yeah. and bloody and violent. It's rated R, so I guess that's another way that they were sort of trying to Tons separate themselves. Too. Yeah. Yeah, they were trying to separate themselves from the original. And I don't think blood and gore and violence 
at face value is necessarily bad mm-hmm. if it has a purpose yeah. or I this don't know. brings me to the impaling. Yeah, you know <laughs> yeah. To, okay, talk about so, the impaling. There are so many examples of just random people getting impaled in this movie. <laughs> yes. When I, when I was thinking about it, you know, it, Act Three is filled with people getting impaled. Okay. <laughs> Where are you going with this? Um, I I was just wondering what what's their obsession with? Is it phallic? With large blunt objects being thrown through people for absolutely no reason. Like, they spent a lot of camera time in the third act of the movie, like, on people getting impaled. <laughs> I and thought, and I something thought... <laughs> I noticed af- after all the impaling was that there was always, like, blood gushing at the screen. And yeah, I was, it, it made can me... Can this film be in 3D? I w- yeah, that's what I was thinking. Check, I, w- check, I, I was Google. like, w- was, this ma- was this made for 3D? <laughs> If it was made for 3D, it was made for 3D like Spy Kids 2 was made for 3D, 3D or Spy Kids 3. That's embarrassing. But then there was another thing. It doesn't even look like it th- th- was. There was another thing. I'll try to be non-spoilery about it, but there was somebody who was shot in the head and their eyeball was dangling out at the screen for probably like 10 seconds. Yeah, I noticed that too. And I, I was like, why are they focusing on this? <laughs> and then I realized if it was in 3D, like the eye would be like in my face. Yeah, it doesn't look like you can see this in 3D. So why? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, this says IMAX 3D theater. Oh, never mind. This is just a specific IMAX 3D theater at Jordan's Furniture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe they but, like forgot they were trying to do 3D. I mean, maybe they were like intending to it and then they realized that nobody was going to see this movie, so they slashed the budget in half. I'm looking right here. This is a 50 million dollar budget. So that actually explains a lot of why the CGI is so bad. Cuz that's you, not that, that much money for the amount of CGI that they have in this movie. I feel like you don't do CGI at that point then. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Live and learn. I think, yeah, I don't know. I <laughs> I completely agree with you, though. I thought you were going to do some sort of... You like were gonna se- make psychoanalyze s- it yeah, or something? Yeah, psychoanalyze no, I don't have anything other, or... other than it disturbing me. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. I have one other sort of mind-boggling complaint or gripe with this movie, and... It's the fact that some stuff in this happens. I think I think it's a byproduct of the main problem that you're saying is that they just have so much crap crammed into this movie. But this movie sometimes feels like it's playing at times two speed, right? There's one specific scene, and I'm going to keep it semi-vague. It, it'll be sort of spoilery, but, like, it doesn't matter. Don't go see this. So, yeah, you're not going to see this, whoever's listening. So just whatever. If you want to skip ahead, it's fine. Um there is a character that's introduced in t- one scene and in that same scene leaves for the rest of the movie and mm-hmm. has been in the movie for 15 seconds. Yeah. And so there's like a span of the movie where there's three new characters that can introduced and then two of them instantly die, right? And then that new character gives the main characters a bit of information when the main character gets poisoned. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you know, I know this other character that you've never seen who can heal you of this poisoning and then as they travel to that new location where this new person is she is voiceover telling them what to do so she's like narrating them going to this brand new location brand new set piece brand new character the character instantly cures the girl of the poisoning and then 
just completely disappears from the film. And that is literally all that happens in mm-hmm. 90 seconds. Yeah. And I was, I was just like, how? And that brand new character who heals the person reveals something massive for the plot. But all in that, all in that span. Of but like, so that that to me screams like maybe they had this much longer script. Maybe it was going to take three hours, and yeah. so they were like, okay, we need to trim this because nobody in their right mind is going to watch Heck Boy for three hours. Fine. <laughs> Why poison the girl at all? Yeah, stakes. <laughs> but like, it's not stakes if you you cure her in literally ninety seconds of screen yeah. time. There is, I just. I don't get it. Maybe it was trying to show that Heckboy really cares about this character or something. And it's maybe it's supposed to set up some sort of fatherly relationship with her. Yeah. Like he has with his father. I don't know. Maybe, but I. So that. It is so bad. <laughs> that brings me to hopefully my final criticism. Oh, God. Be- before okay. we get to spoilers, I I hate the side character, Alice. Okay. Um, Played by Sasha Lane. Okay. I think she's terrible. Do you think the character's terrible or do you think the actress is terrible or yes? I don't know if it's the way her character was written or if it was the actress's portrayal. I just didn't like her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's she's supposed to be a character who has psychic precognitive abilities. Okay, okay. I was going to ask you that. But she uses she them has, once. Yeah, but she has no business being in fights against, like, gods, you know? Yeah. She has no business being in those things, but it seems like the plot sort of demands her to be there for Hellboy to have an emotional stake in it. Mm-hmm. But we don't know why Hellboy has an emotional stake in it. You know, he just met this girl. He had no idea who she was. No. Well, he didn't recognize her. Right, right. Okay. And yeah. he didn't And he didn't really know her. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so he has no he has no re- like reason to care about this girl other than like he had a run in with her in the past before, mm-hmm. and I didn't know why he cared about her so much when he doesn't care about a lot of other people. Yeah, and it, I mean that's what I'm saying is I think it was try. Go ahead. Sorry, yeah, I didn't mean to well they just he decides to bring her along on this adventure because he says she's the only person yeah. he trusts. Yeah, like what? Why? Like <laughs> what What happened to your father who raised you? you know? Yeah, well, so, I mean, I think they were trying to do this thing with Heckboy where, you know, I, a lot of movies do this, and there is, it, it is an interesting idea. That's why a lot of movies do it. It's like Heckboy is kind of destined to destroy the world. He comes, he's you know, he's the spawn of a demon, but he's also raised by a human. Mm-hmm how do you reckon with kind of what you're destined to be and what you want to be? You kind of have these two sides of you raging. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, which one survives, the you know, the one that you feed the most, all that stuff that theoretically could be interesting. And I think that Alice was trying to show that Hellboy had this caring human side to him. Mm-hmm. But that is... I, I think that, that all of that just doesn't work in this film because yeah. you never once believe that, oh, he's going to turn into the demon and destroy the world mm. like he's destined to. Like, I don't believe that, and I also don't really care if he does. And also, they used that plot point in, in, the, first one, in yeah. the first Hellboy with Guillermo del Toro and the second one. Yeah. yeah. And in the comics. Yeah. So it's, 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 a common... it's, not, it's not something that we should have been surprised about. 
and it's it's that frankly to me is something that I don't think this movie should have even included as such a huge plot point. Well, yeah, because they don't have the time to do it. They clearly want to be this badass spectacle movie where he fights giants and fights vampires and fights zombies and oh look yeah. he's so cool and macho. But it's not even good at that. Um, I think that Del Toro had the right idea of focusing on the kind of the humanity aspects of Heckboy. Yeah. The, the, I mean, the other interesting thing that they sort of talk about in one scene is they talk about this idea of just because this this woman, this sorceress, is bringing monsters out of the light and into this world doesn't necessarily mean that those monsters are going to kill people. Like, But they never talk about no, that again. Yeah. That was such a good point. And I was yeah. like, oh, maybe this movie's going somewhere yep. else. And I then was like, they oh. never mentioned how monsters might be good again. Yeah, and they have this interesting thing that they do where they pit Heckboy against his father. And his father's kind of very, no, monsters are bad. And he's like, well, you know, why Why didn't you kill me why, when you saw me? There's some really interesting stuff there. Yeah. But this movie is so just I guess so that poorly was a, written. That was a really good scene in the movie. Yeah, I, I agree. But it had no place being there. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing is I can only give so much credit to this because there are so many other movies that do that better. Like yeah. the person torn between two worlds. He's mo- half monster, half human. Yeah. How do you reconcile two worlds? That was like the whole narrative point of how to train your dragon which is so much better it's even in man of steel and like this movie is making me praise man of steel (laughs) that's when you know it's bad the one where pa (laughs) kent goes to save a damn dog in a hurricane sorry a tornado and then is like no don't save me superman it's fine okay anyways (laughs) um yeah where are we going with this this movie's crap (laughs) 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 yeah okay let's wrap up with some concluding thoughts about this film so i i think that this movie actually had a lot of potential you know with david harbour i really like him but i think it was all completely wasted (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's the most average movie that i've seen this year i think and in my head i'm comparing it to the mummy uh, both you mean in, the the remake one with Tom Cruise? No. Or, um, oh, some people really like that movie. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> people can have wrong opinions. <laughs> um, I, I think this movie could have actually benefited from getting like a streaming deal on Netflix or something. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been good or on like Amazon Prime or something like that. It feels like it's something that would have gone straight to DVD or like, <laughs> a, or like a TV yeah. pilot or something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this a three point five out of ten. Oh wow! And I'm probably scoring it a bit higher than it deserves, just due to the my massive soft soft spot for uh, David Harbor. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I I don't think this needs a summary. I wouldn't. I would not recommend anyone really to go see this unless you are a huge Hellboy fan. But if that's the case, then, you know, you already saw it, right? This movie's not good. I'm going to give it one star because there is a couple bit of action pieces that are kind of cool. There's some flourishes. I'm going to talk about one or two of them in spoilers that I thought were like, okay, you know, that's something creative that I haven't necessarily seen before. I like that. So it gets one star out of five for that. Then it gets another half a star for one of the world's best puns 
that made me just completely lose my mind in the theater in the climax (laughs) of the movie. I thought it was so funny, so I'm giving it an extra half star for that. So I'm going to give it a 3 out of 10. Okay. So, yeah, we do not recommend this. (laughs) But, you know, if for some reason you already saw it or – you don't care about spoilers, which you don't, then stick around. We're going to talk about spoilers starting now. That's my secret, Cap. I'm always angry. So something that I actually liked about this movie that I wasn't able to mention in the non-spoiler part was the scene with Baba Yaga. Oh, my God. Okay. You liked that? I liked it in how creepy it was. I think it did its job in, like, disturbing me. Okay. You know? It was... I have lots of thoughts about this scene, and I'm glad you brought it up, not me. Going into, like, this alternate dimension in this creepy house and finding this disturbing-looking creature there with no legs Mm -hmm. on, like, stumps, limping around and talking about eating children... Uh, I thought that was all, like, so disturbing. And I thought David Harbour's reactions to everything in this scene were so good. Mm-hmm. That 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 was probably my favorite uh, example of David Harbour's acting as Hellboy. Okay. Did, <laughs> did you realize that Baba Yaga is the same, like, Russian fairy tale that the guy in Ant-Man and the Wasp was mentioning when he thought that the ghost was an actual ghost. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I I picked up on that. I, like, have vivid imagery from something of Baba Yaga and the house with weird chicken legs walking through the forest. That is in something, and I tried to Google it, and I could not figure out where I had seen it before, but I've definitely seen that before. But this scene, like, yeah, you're right. I guess it's creepy, and it is effective at being creepy, and it's kind of fun in that creepy way. But do you remember why he went, how he got there, why he went there, what happened as a result of that scene? Well, he was in an elevator. Yeah. And then he was suddenly there. Okay. I'm following you. Logically, yes. Elevators go to alternate dimensions all the time. And then conveniently, Baba Yaga had the exact information that Hellboy needed to save the world. Okay, so he got information. So he got the information okay. and left. Sure. <laughs> sure. So he gets he gets into this house that has been like walking with almost a limp through the thing on like the chicken legs. Li- yeah. yeah. And then he gets into the house and everything is perfectly fine. Like there's candlesticks that are perfectly yeah. erect. And I'm sure based on our Shazam review that you're gonna be like, Oh, it was magic, right? The magic that keeps the house from not just falling all over the place. Right? Okay, fine. But the thing that blew my mind about this scene is that he sits down at a dinner table that has this massive feast laid out for no reason. And he, Baba Yaga offers him soup and he takes a spoonful of the soup and it's got these fingers in it. And he's like, oh, are these kids? And she's like, yeah, yeah. So they're going to eat kids. But all around this soup is just a cornucopia of fresh fruit. Yeah, and I forgot about that. it is just the most gorgeous and delicious looking fruit I have ever seen. It just these super bright green grapes, 
there had to be at least be like 25 <laughs> apples just chilling on the table and these oranges. And I was just like, where is she getting these fruits? And what sort of diet is human children mixed with fruit? <laughs> like, and I feel like that was the tonal, not even tonal, just like the stupidity of this movie exemplified on a dining room table for me. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't. I see that. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so that scene was ridiculous. I have a couple other questions for you, if you don't mind me asking. Do you have anything else you want to say about this Baba Yaga side plot thing? Uh, no. Okay. So at some point, he is talking to this underground society of people who kind of show him the backstory, or his backstory or origin story or whatever. Mm-hmm. And is is it ever established why Ian McShane and all these people have not aged? I completely missed it if there was an opportunity to explain oh, it. Yeah, they explained it in in the in the movie. What happened? They were talking about how they were you know th- they were like these giant hunters. You know? Yeah, yeah. And they were they were chosen to basically save the world from apocalypse. Mhm. And when they were chosen it it like became clear to them that they weren't allowed to leave the earth until they like fulfilled their mission. Okay. Which was to kill Hellboy. Oh. Okay. Which is what yeah, they said that. Okay, I completely missed that cuz they mentioned it that he hadn't aged. Yeah. I was like, "Oh cool." And then they went into another story and I was like, "Wait." Well, they expl- I don't... they explained it right after that. I completely missed it. Yeah. I don't I don't know. My bad, I guess. Sorry, movie for yeah, come attention. on. My bad. <laughs> Another thing I want to talk about is the fact that when finally this lady, this sorceress played by Mila Jovovich, mm-hmm. comes back, she kind of unleashes this plague on the world. Yeah. Right? And it starts killing people left and right just by making them yeah. rot or whatever. The answer is going to be magic. No, no, no. I don't have a question about okay. that. I just think <laughs> it is hilarious because in the climax of the scene – David Harbour, by the way, this is also a, like, King Arthur story for no reason. It's just, As everything is yeah. nowadays. <laughs> it's just Hollywood also dropping – it's the, dropping the ball on both Hellboy and a King Arthur story, which is great. Two for one king. stone. Yeah. Uh, um, prequel to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so he, he gets the thing and he gets the, the sword and – and becomes his full demonic self for like four seconds. And in that four seconds... We see the coolest scene in the whole movie. You think so? I think so. <laughs> you think that's the coolest scene? Oh, oh, yes. When he's riding the dragon, swinging a sword. Yes, he has a vision. Underworld. Yeah, he has a vision of him taking over the world. It's not even the underworld. It's like... Oh, that was Earth? That was Earth that he had dominated. And oh, that's he was awesome. just cutting through people. Yeah, that was super awesome. But I'm talking about when he starts unleashing these demons on England and only England for some reason. Because yeah. screw England, I guess. And <laughs> they come out of the Earth... And one of them is just this massive, weird-looking thing that just instantly picks up a guy who is walking through the middle of the street and tears him in half. Yeah. And it was like, dude, there is a a virus outbreak. Like, we 
just saw a scene where the na- the news told you to stay in your house <laughs> yeah. and avoid being like, infected by the virus. Why are you outside? And there's just people all outside, all over. And yeah. they all just get torn apart. Yeah, we see so, a solid two minutes of people getting impaled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Like, not even, not just impaled, graphically impaled. <laughs> yeah. Just obscure, like, obscenely, completely impaled with no regard for why or oh my god i there was like way too like there was way too much time on that yeah <laughs> yeah and then we get to another terrible scene where we haven't even talked about this guy this ed damiano or nope ed damiano is a professor here that's awkward ben Di- daimio Di- yeah uh, played by Daniel Day Kim, yeah. who is also part wear Jaguar. Yeah. Which I thought was actually a pretty cool yeah, I scene he... of him and Hellboy fighting Pigboy. He's a really Pig cool Boy. character. Yeah. Yeah, Jagboy and Hellboy fighting Pigboy. And I thought I think there was a lot of that character that like they tried to go into in the movie, but they never really quite yeah. got there. Again, no time. Like they mentioned his dark backstory. Yeah. And they literally was, told us the dark backstory on the way to the climactic yeah, fight. Yeah, right? and that was it. That was all yeah. we found out about him. <laughs> and, but he does this thing that I I even said in the theater to you, and you agreed that was just an insult to our intelligence, more so than the rest of this movie. Where so he he at some point gets this magic bullet that was created specifically so that it would kill Hellboy. Mm-hmm. I guess it's blessed by the Pope or something. I don't know, and. In the climactic scene, Hellboy is facing off against the sorcerer, and he has taken the sword, and he is, you know, now a demon, and he's about to submit to the queen and become her king, right? Yeah. And so Daimiano is aiming this gun at Hellboy, like, oh, I'm going to kill this guy with this magic bullet. But what he does is he takes the bullet out of the gun, puts it into his hand to show us that it's the bullet. It's the bullet. And then puts it back in the gun, and it's like... We know what you're doing. We understand there was a whole you scene explained what dedicated the to. Was. Yeah, yeah, you do not need us. You do not need to show us the. You do not need to show us the bullet. That suggests to me that the film thinks we are stupid. Yeah, and that's offensive. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> More yeah. offensive than anything else in this movie, mm-hmm. which is a lot of stuff. I think yeah. The other huge flaw in this movie is that if you think about the the main characters in this, Alice and Ben, and then mm-hmm. Heckboy. That is so much less exciting than Abe Sapien and Hellboy and Selma Blair's character. I can't remember her yeah. name from the original mm-hmm. Hellboy. These characters, they just, they clear, like, their relationships aren't well established. We, we've, you know, I feel like we're kind of beating a dead horse at this point. Do you have anything else you want to talk about in spoilers for this? Sort of. About the King Arthur thing again. Okay. <laughs> they, Hollywood cannot do King Arthur stories. The, I don't understand why. It's not that hard of a story to do. This is like one movie, and they explained the origin of Hellboy twice. Oh, my God. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and the King Arthur origin part, that was in like the very end of the Hellboy comics. Really? That oh, was so that like, is in the comics? Y- yeah. Y- oh. You had to read through tons of comics to get to the King Arthur thing. Like, it's a huge reveal. And you just lose all of that weight, I think, in this movie. Yeah, I agree. It, I thought it was so <laughs> stupid in the yeah. film. I was like... Yeah, me too. I was like, are you kidding dumb. me? 
Like, I, I expected that in the second or third movie, maybe. And then also, the way they explained it was that his mom was a human and she was impregnated by a demon. And the demon is, like, a hundred feet and she's, like, tied to... It was just uncomfortable. Yeah. And tone deaf and they breast it aside as if it was supposed to be this great reveal and cool thing to this character. Yeah. And it was disgusting. Yeah, it was. Which is just not cool. Yeah, oh, yeah I didn't like that. <laughs> yeah. It, I, it was just like, this is not, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry. Anything else? <laughs> no, that's pretty much it for... Yeah. One thing I wanted to bring up about the Ben Daimio character is that there was actually some real world controversy about this character. I don't know if you heard about this, but he was originally going to be played by Ed Skrine, who is the actor that plays Francis in the Deadpool movie. Oh, really? Yeah. and huh. But then Ed Skrine publicly decided to drop out of the role. Oh, I remember that. Claiming yeah. or saying that it was... It was a while was, ago. Yeah, it was yeah. a while ago. But he, this reason he said that was that he, didn't, he did not realize when he took the role that the character was originally Asian-American in the comics mm-hmm. and that he wanted to give the opportunity to for an Asian-American to play this character. Yeah, that was super cool of him. Yeah, I think that is super cool. Uh, and, I mean, it's a shame that it was in such a bad movie, but I think that that's something that should be praised. Um, yeah, I sure. remember when the news came out, the something was brought up about it that's a very interesting point that I hadn't thought of, and it's something that I, I want to talk to you about and see what you think about it it is dangerous this pres or this precedent is dangerous because it makes it seem like it is the job of the actor to avoid roles like that whereas it should fall it, the blame should fall on the studio and it should oh. be the studio's responsibility to cast actors who are yeah more uh to to, to express diversity in their casting it, it, it's absolutely on the studio yeah but I don't. I don't think. I but don't think it, it's like anything bad for Ed Skrine. Yeah. I, like, I think it should be certainly commended, but I don't think it should become a thing that actors need to. You know, like it, it's a job. Yeah. And so it needs to be the studio's hundred percent their responsibility to say no. We need to find an actor that is better fit for this that promotes diversity. I, I I think it's for sure on the studio, but I feel like we're at the point where like people are starting to realize like oh these studios don't really care yeah um and at that point it shouldn't have to fall on the actor but it kind of has it, to yeah. it, it has to at that point other uh, somebody's gonna get pissed at somebody at you know yeah yeah for sure i mean yeah i, I think it's great for this guy but i do think it's a hundred percent Lionsgate's fault oh that they yeah, yeah even let him like even offered him the job in the first place and that should never happen. So, um, I don't know. I, I thought that that was an interesting thing and you usually hear controversies like this and it's always negative. So I'm it's, surprised it's he exciting. accepted, he, he accepted the role without hearing from them first that it was an Asian American character. Yeah. Well, yeah. Who knows? Or not Asian American. I don't know. Maybe, Asian maybe it was like a PR thing. Like maybe, he did it, didn't think it would be a big deal, and yeah. then he heard rumors about that people did care about. I, I don't know. I don't know the story too well, yeah. but I think the net gain of this is good. It's just a shame that Daniel Day Kim, who was actually pretty fine in this, yeah, it's a shame that he was in such a bad movie. Yeah. So. He kills but, it and lost. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. But all right. Do you, you have anything you want else you want to say about this? Absolutely not. I'm finished with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Can can we actually – I do want to talk about the pun. So he okay. cuts – come on. This is so funny. Nobody's yeah. going to see this, so yeah, I have to – That's fine. Oh, man. It's this huge battle, and then he cuts the head off of – the blood queen. Uh, the blood queen, sure. Mila Jovovich, who is also actually fine in this. She's fine, too. And, you know, she's still talking to him. She's like, you know, you could be my queen. You could be my king, whatever. And he, he says, quit while you're ahead. And he throws her head into, like, the pits of hell or whatever. I thought it was so funny. Yeah, because she, Yeah, explain she, it to me. Please explain it. Ex- um, no, explain it to our audience. He decapitated the blood queen. So she was just ahead, yeah. and he said, "Quit while you're ahead," which is a common he, colloquialism. Yeah, it, it's a common colloquialism, and she was actually ahead. Yeah, so that's why it's funny. Yeah, it's it's a lot funnier when you explain it. Thanks, man. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, and then also this film has two post-credit scenes. Did you know that? It had a second one. Yep, we did not stay for it oh. <laughs> because it's not going to freaking matter. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what it was, but then like that end stinger that you talk about, they sort of at the very end, before even the credits, they infiltrate this other secret organization, which is a really cool action scene. So that was the coolest part. I'm sure it'll be on YouTube in nine months when this goes to Netflix, but, um, it's on YouTube probably like now. Yeah. So our mistake for not sticking around for the post credits, but the, the mid credits was stupid. Do you know who that character is from the comics? Fish boy? No, no, that that was the pre-credits stinger. Oh, that's Abe Sapien. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, but it was like Lobster Joe or something. I honestly don't remember. Um... He was like at his the grave of his oh, dad. The lobster who was earlier in the movie. Yeah, but like, is that a character from the comics or what yeah. was the? Okay, I, I mean, I don't know. Does that excite you? Does that? Well, we we saw him earlier in the movie. Yeah, but like then he was he the was... Nazi killer, dude. Well, yeah, but then he was at the end, and that was just funny, I think. Oh, I thought maybe it was indicating that he was going to be in the next movie or something. Maybe that's. I mean, that's a question that I actually have for you. Do you want to see more of this series? No. Okay, not even from another director or writer. If or it both? gets, do you would you want to see like David Harbour back? Yes. Yeah. I, I would like to see him in a good Hellboy movie. Okay, so you think that there's premise, or not premise, there, promise there, there, Yes, there was definitely promise, yes. It okay. was just completely wasted in this movie. Do you have any ideas of what kind of director would do better? Any other director? I actually don't <laughs> think it's even the director's fault that much. This guy is a Game um, of Thrones director, so he's just a yeah, TV no, dude. Pro- probably and, a writer, a better writer. Yeah, to I be think honest, it's just a garbage writer and probably not a great studio for it. Yeah, post-production team. Yeah, Um yeah. Okay. Well, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I'm okay with never seeing a Hellboy. Bigger movie. budget. Yeah. I think the film series honestly peaked with the Del Toro films, and I don't think you're going to get much better than that. Yeah. So. Which is fine. Oh, there was one other thing I wanted to mention, and that the soundtrack for this movie was all over the place, and it reminded me a lot of what Suicide Squad was trying to do. Yeah. Which was trying to replicate the success of Guardians of the Galaxy. And like shoehorn in like hard rock music. Yeah, yeah. So, where it didn't really make sense sometimes. Yeah. And I said that I thought that this film felt like somebody had taken a JPEG 
of Suicide Squad and then saved it like a thousand times. And you know, like what a JPEG gets all blurry yeah, and gross. Yeah. And yeah, like this movie may, I would much rather watch Suicide Squad than this movie. And I think Suicide Squad is pretty embarrassingly bad. <laughs> yeah, I know I agree with that. Okay. So, all right, let's move on. So now we'll do our point two section where we talk about some of the other stuff we've been watching. So Ian, what have you seen since the last time we talked? So recently I watched Unicorn Store on Netflix. It was just released. It was uh, Brie Larson's directorial debut, and she's starring in it with her co-star from Captain Marvel, Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. It's a stacked cast. Really? Can you tell me what it's about? Um, Yeah, so... Vaguely. (laughs) It's about... This girl, Kit, p- played by Brie Larson, she fails out of art school. Not played by Sam Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> she fails out of art school and gets this sort of like humdrum job in, in an office space mm-hmm. where she doesn't really have that artistic voice. And she sort of gets this chance to have her dreams come true when she meets... Samuel L. Jackson's character, who's only really known as the salesman Mm -hmm. in this store that supposedly sells unicorns. Okay. It, yeah, it, you'll have to watch it to make sense of it. Um, It's a store that just randomly shows up and draws Brie Larson's character there and basically tells her that she was chosen for having a unicorn. Okay. <laughs> so, do you like this? Uh... I I think it's so fun. Um, I I love the cast. There's um, you know Bradley Whitford. Mm-hmm. Um, I would vote for Obama a third time if I could. <laughs> yeah, that, that's him. Yep. <laughs> uh, I, I Karen Sony. He is uh the taxi driver in Deadpool. Oh, okay, yeah. He is a really fun character in this. Go Pinder. Um, yeah, he's he's basically like the the coolest guy like in the world who like Brie huh. who Brie Larson's parents want her to be like. Yeah. And um yeah, Brie Larson's parents are like these camp counselors for troubled kids. And so they're very like happy-go-lucky and inspirational and very different from Brie Larson's character. She doesn't really have a place it seems like in her family mm-hmm. and that's why she's like so excited when she finds this unicorn store she found she like feels so at home there as like an artist and stuff because her art is very bright and colorful like you would expect from a unicorn uh and it's just like a, a generally very fun movie there are a few <laughs> sad parts but it has a happy ending and like a, a really nice message of like of just to be yourself I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So would you recommend this across the board? Yeah. I, just I to anybody? Re- I already recommended it to my parents. Okay. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the Anderson yeah. stamp of approval. <laughs> my understanding is that it's also pretty short, right? It's only yeah, like it's, 90 Yeah, it's only minutes. an hour and a half. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I'll check it out at some point. So even I'll, if you I'll... don't end up liking it, it's not too much time wasted. Yeah, it's like one episode of Game of Thrones. Yeah, there you also, go. Also, happy Game of Thrones days. I know you don't watch it, but the... Season eight premieres tonight, so that is super exciting. <laughs> also, happy marathon weekend. Woo. We're the movie marathoners, so yay. <laughs> um, okay, so I saw a movie recently called Pet Cemetery. Saw that in theaters. 
And Stephen that King. is, yep, it is the remake of the movie based on the book by Stephen King. And the, I, have you seen the old one? No. Yeah, so I think the old one is kind of one of the horror classics of its time. I don't really un- know when it came out. This one is, I, I thought it was pretty good. Um, Again, I'm not a huge horror fan, so there's some horror stuff that I kind of had to roll my eyes at a little bit. But I think what's cool about Stephen King's stuff is that while it's horror, there's always sort of a purpose to it. Mm-hmm. And the idea here is that there is a graveyard on this in this little town in Maine where if you bury your pets, they can be they kind of come back to life, but they're not the same when they come back to life. Perfect. And perfect. Ah, you. <laughs> you. <laughs> you. Oh god. And so you know, the family comes and lives, you know, they come and live in this new house, you know, pretty classic horror movie stuff. Mm-hmm. Their pet cat dies and then they bury the cat and it comes back to life and fit hits the shan. Parts of it, I thought that the ending parts of it were were pretty interesting. It went in directions that I wasn't expecting. Um, I thought this was going to be much more just, you know, zombie cat terrorizes family, but that's not what it is. And I think had I seen the original or read the book or done any research on it, I probably would have known that. But I was expecting a little bit of more like zombie cat action. Yeah. And that's not actually really the point about this film at all. Hmm. It's more about the family and dealing with grief and the fear of death kind of trumping a lot of other things like like how can the fear of death consume you and the fear of suffering and things like that mm-hmm. um so it's it's i mean it's an interesting little thing my main complaint with it is that you know the first half of the movie is kind of built on them resurrecting this cat and for them to resurrect their this cat they kind of have to have a good reason to do it and i didn't feel like the family cared that much about the cat so it was sort of like you know the cat's barely in the movie you're not a cat all. guy I no i mean i understand but <laughs> if if i'm gonna be devastated by the death of a cat i have to know that somebody cares about the cat instead of just oh you know we left the cat in the car ha 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 which is what happens in this oh god uh, no that's not how he dies but like they move into the house and they're oh we left the cat in the car lol like you clearly don't care that much about the cat so you know, I mean, it, it's a mixed bag, but I ended up liking it well enough, and I would recommend it for, like, a, you know, weeknight watch or whatever. Okay. Uh, there's some scary parts, and there's tense parts, too, so I, I liked it. It was good. Something I like when I thought about this movie is, you know, I, I saw the picture of, like, the cat sitting in the middle of the road, like, center frame, and I was like, Wow, somebody had to come in with this cat every day and make it look like trash, you know? Yeah. Somebody just had to rub the grease through this cat's hair. Yeah. <laughs> every day. And then somebody had to I I like how someone has to go in and make the cat look angry yeah. too. Yeah, that too. There's a there's something that I always think and speaking of Game of Thrones, this happens a lot in Game of Thrones, especially with dogs in movies when dogs are supposed to be intimidating. Mm-hmm. They kind of have them growl and like put in si- sound effects to make the dogs more intimidating. Yeah. But then when you look at the dog, they're just like panting and like, 
Like, I'm so happy. <laughs> and I'm just, I can't take that dog seriously because it's just too adorable and clearly a domesticated animal. Have you seen this cat's uh, red carpet pictures? No. They're so cute. Okay. He's wearing a little tie. <laughs> oh, yes. No, I have seen that. It's been a, like a, a cat-heavy quarter for movies with yeah. this and Goose. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Sabrina on Netflix. Oh, true. Yeah, I don't watch that, but there's a cat in that. Salem. Yeah. So I guess we can keep in with the semi-horror theme. Uh, I also recently watched the season three of Santa Clarita Diet, yeah. which is a Netflix show. Have you seen this show? Yeah, I've seen uh, the first two seasons, and I am on episode four of the most recent one. Awesome. So what do you think about it? I really like it. Um, what's the name of the dad, the actor? Joel. Oh, um, Timothy Oliphant. Yeah, he's so funny. Yeah. He makes so, that show for me. <laughs> so this show is kind of the premise is that this Santa Clarita couple, Santa Clarita, California, they are real estate agents, and then randomly one day, the wife, played by Drew Barrymore, dies and comes back as a zombie, and they just kind of live the rest of their life trying to figure out what to do with her being a zombie. But the thing is that she's not like an undead, hungry, and trying to kill everybody kind of zombie. Well. <laughs> she she still has personality and sort of what happens when you die in this show is you become the best version of yourself sort of and so she's becomes very lively and energetic and super eager to help people and all of that stuff but she also does still eat people so they have to kind of come up with a way to live their life in this goofy Santa Clarita town and <laughs> raise their daughter and still also kill people to give Sheila to eat. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like Ian mentioned, Timothy Oliphant is Sheila's husband. And those two together are television gold. Yeah, I love so this funny. movie. or oh, I love this TV show. And I can't quite place why, but the humor in it is so wholesome and so just... Well, they like, they joke about like their normal life things on like in the same sentence as oh we have to go like out to kill someone so you can yeah eat. <laughs> yeah I think I think one of one of the things I think about the most that I think is so funny and kind of encapsulates this humor is that they're they're talking about having to hide a body in their house that Sheila has killed and <laughs> they're like oh where should we hide this so that Abby our daughter doesn't see it and and the husband is like well maybe we can hide it behind that surfboard that we bought for her and she has only used once <laughs> or yeah how about about how about behind the french horn that she promised she'd play every week and so it's just this like this lighthearted first world goofy humor mixed with this just insanely messed up humor it just yeah. it works perfectly for me i think it's really funny I am consistently laughing out loud in every single episode. And I, the other interesting thing that I found in season three is that you end up really caring about these characters mm -hmm. I, I, and their relationships. And they, the show still does have some interesting things to say about relationships and specifically about being a husband and a wife and about being parents and stuff. So it's not completely uh, shallow either yeah 
Um, but with season three coming out and ending, um, and the other thing is that each season kind of builds on itself and it gets more and more wackadoodle and the world gets more and more built. And I think that all of that has been really effective too. But at the end of season three, something happens that clearly sets up a season four. And every time this happens, I'm just like, oh no, is this going to be the end? And Netflix is just going to cancel this because it's not stranger things. I hope not. So I'm really scared about Santa Clarita Diet getting canceled. So if anybody is looking for a funny, silly, cute show, it's they're only 30-minute episodes, and there's about 10 episodes per season. Uh, it's a really quick watch. It's really fun as long as you don't mind some graphic bits. Mm-hmm. Please watch it so it doesn't get canceled like American Vandal. I just looked up um, my favorite joke from it. I couldn't remember the exact line. It's from season one, and Joel offers Sheila a smoothie and is like here's a smoothie I found a bag of his face behind the ice cream in the freezer (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then oh man I love when they're like passive aggressive towards each other yeah like oh yeah I guess I have to bury the body today I don't know (laughs) everything is so funny yeah that show I really recommend that show to anybody who it sounds like that's their cup of tea obviously so do you have anything else you've been watching lately? Do you or? Okay, we can. No, I don't. <laughs> no, I can, I can do that again. <laughs> <laughs> I can do that over again. <laughs> no, I, I've been pretty busy. Uh, with homework and stuff. Haven't really gotten to watch much. Okay, awesome. Okay, so this has been our review of Heckboy. Ian, if listeners would like to follow you online, where can they find you? You can follow me at Anderson on Twitter. The O is a zero. Mm-hmm. And you can follow me on Twitter at mgroll9. And you can always reach out to us at our email, moviemarathonerspod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast on Podbean at moviemarathoners.podbean.com. And we are also on iTunes. Feel free to subscribe or write a review if you like what we're doing. And any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. Thank you all for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time when we run through our first retrospective marathon in preparation for Avengers Endgame. So we'll be talking in-depth about the Avengers, Avengers Age of Ultron, and Avengers Infinity War, as well as talking all about the MCU and where it stands before the final chapter later this month. So that should be a really fun episode. I'm really excited for that. Can't wait. Yeah. So until then, bye. See ya. Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place. The sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com.